this week on the Emmaus Institute for Disciple Making Podcast. We continue our winter class titled Foundations of Marriage with Bill and Leslie Burke. They will be covering the second foundation, which is the relationship with your spouse. This is the bell of truth (laughs) that my wife brought with us tonight. Of course, you know her. If you were here last week, Leslie um, taught this class because I got called out of town. And so now it is my turn, and I'm going to be doing most of the talking, and Leslie will have the bell, and she will fact-check me with this (laughs) bell because I told her I was going to tell some stories. And so she brought along the bell. So if the bell rings, it, you know, I might be um, elaborating a bit or, or stretching the truth a little bit. Backtracking. Backtracking. Hello, come on in. So um, I'm grateful that she taught the class last week. I am, because I, I didn't plan it that way, so I'm not like a derelict husband that I'd say, hey, let's teach a class, and then I'm going to leave town and leave it to you. It didn't happen that way. I got called out at the last minute, but she did it. And so it's an example of um, you know, the strength of marriage that we're a team, and we work together, and uh, this is one of many examples of where that um, has happened in our lives. So... Uh, I'm going to do most of the teaching tonight. We're going to have some opportunity to answer some questions. And uh, you have handouts at your table which contain those questions, and we'll talk about that. But I'm going to teach for about 40 minutes, I think. She'll ring the bell. I'll teach for about 40 minutes. Uh, We'll have some time to talk. And we also, during the discussion time or at any time tonight, we want you to write down a question or two or three that you may have that we might be able to address next week in our last meeting. So on your table, you have index cards, and we would like to ask you if there's a subject, a question, a topic that we didn't get a chance to get to in this teaching, because it is rather brief time that we have together, Write it down. You could put your name on it. You could not put your name on it. If you don't want to put your name on it, that's fine. Uh, And we're going to collect those at the end of class, and we're going to use those questions in part to design kind of what we want to talk about next week because we want this time to be as valuable as it can be for you, and we'd like to kind of know what's on your mind and what kind of topics we might address. We've got our perspective and and things that we've prepared and things that we're going to share, but we'd like to hear from you. So anytime during the evening, if you could remember to do that, that would be great, and just leave them with us um, on your way out. So um, I'm sure that Leslie talked about this last week, but we we aren't um, theologians. You know, we're lay Christian people. Well, I mean, Leslie might be something of a theologian, but I'm not. And our experience in being married and trying to follow the Lord has been, like most people, a little, a little convoluted. You know, so um, we didn't get married and know the things that we're sharing tonight. Um, and I was not a Christian when we got married, so there, there was a lot of, of things that we didn't know about what God's word says uh, about marriage, that, and, and, we, and we weren't able to apply those things, and we didn't know them. And so we made some mistakes. So we'll talk about that, and we'll be, be candid about that. Um, and, and all um, in a way to, to kind of bolster some of the points that we're going to make, and to just emphasize that, you know, we're, we're not perfect. None of us are perfect. We are on a journey being transformed. If we're believers in Christ, we're on a journey being transformed into the image of Christ. And, and that is a convoluted, slow, difficult at times process, but one that is so worth doing. So, um, you know, being perfect isn't what we're about. It's about being on the journey and trying to, um, you know, understand where we need to improve Um, and to be sanctified together um, with our spouse that God has given us. So 
We have some scripture um, that we want to talk about tonight. And uh, in your handout, well, before I get to this, though, let me just kind of recap what we did last week. Since I wasn't here, so you could tell me if, uh, if I'm right about this. But what uh, we, we, we shared, Leslie shared some statistics on our culture and on marriages that are not succeeding, right? It's a pretty dire um, statistics about what's happening around us. And in the Christian church, the results are not that much different. You know, so there are a lot of problems in marriages within the Christian church. There are divorces within the Christian church, and it's, it's a problem. And she talked about also the first of three foundations. So we're building this class on what we consider to be three foundations necessary for a healthy Christian marriage. You guys remember what those were? What was that foundation for last week? Anybody remember? Prayer. Pardon? Prayer. Prayer. So, so our relationship with Christ. Our relationship with Christ. But prayer and, and, and Bible study, those were spiritual disciplines that we base our relationship with Christ upon. So, so those are things that we do to put ourselves in a position so that we can hear the word of, of God and understand his will in our life. Uh, so those were what? Bible study, prayer. What were some other ones? Meditation. Meditation fasting. fasting and community. Right. So, and those things as we see it, those aren't check boxes that, you know, we do all these things and then we're good before the eyes of God. That is not what we mean by that, but... These are disciplines that we do so that we can get ourselves in a position for the Holy Spirit to be working on us. You know, so, so like anything else that we do, um, if we want to earn money, we have to go to work. If we want to be in good shape, we have to exercise. If we want to have a better diet, we have to change the way that we eat. So, so it's similar in that way that we need to put ourselves in position to be able to hear the Word of God. How do we know what God's Word is if we don't study it? How can we have a relationship with Christ if we're not in prayer? So that's the point of those things is these are things we need to be doing so that the Holy Spirit can work on us. And if we're not doing those things, if we're not introspective, if we're not um, at work every day, repenting, changing, seeking God's will in our lives, it's going to be difficult to have a good relationship with our spouse or anyone else. So that's kind of, is that a fair recap? Okay, make sure I got it right. All right, so that's what we did last week. So this week we're moving into what we call the second foundation. Again, this is our material. A lot of this is based on uh, the Tim Keller book, Tim and Kathy Keller, Meaning of Marriage, great book. But, but we're not taking this right out of their book verbatim. So the, the information we're sharing is our information. So if it's wrong or incorrect, it's, you know, we're res I'm responsible. She's not responsible. I'm responsible if it's wrong or incorrect. But it's our information that we have learned um, over the years by doing these things. So um, that the first foundation is our relationship with Christ. And tonight we're going to be focused on our relationship with our spouse. And so that's where we're going to get into the, um, the scriptures that are on your handout. So on your tables, you have a handout. And there's a couple of uh, scriptures on here. And I want to start with Ephesians. Well, let me, before I do that, the reason we picked these two is that Genesis, the Genesis scripture is the creation account and you know, how God created man and woman and their relationship. So I think that's good. I read that periodically. I go back and read the creation story just to remind myself of how did God create human beings and what is the intention for men and women. And just to remind myself, because we don't get a lot of good, solid um, reinforcement of those truths in our culture. We have to go to the Word of God. So, so I think that's good to read occasionally. And then Ephesians 5 talks about the relationship between the husband and the wife. And, and that's where I want to start tonight. So 
Uh, would somebody be willing to read for us uh, the second scripture here, Ephesians 5, 17 through 33? Okay, thank you. Ephesians 5, 17 through 33. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand that the will of the Lord is what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melodies to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of the reverence for Christ. Wives, submit to your husbands, excuse me, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as church, as Christ loves the church, and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, and just as Christ does the church, because we are all members of his body. Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I am saying it refers to Christ and the church. However, let me let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Thank you. And I'm going to add to that just a couple of verses out of 1 Peter chapter 3. Um, verses 1 and 2. Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some of them do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives when they see your respectful and pure conduct. And then skipping down to verse 7. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. So as I begin talking about these scriptures and applying them, I'd like to pray uh, for what I'm going to say, that it would be valuable and useful. So would you pray with me for a moment? Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the guidance you give us in life, how to live, how to live uh, among other people the value of, of human life and the importance of relationships. I pray, Lord, that you would guide what I say tonight. May it be correct. May it be accurate. May it be helpful. May it be uplifting and edifying to the people that are here. Lord, may we walk away tonight with at least an idea or two of uh, what we can do differently in our lives to be more effective, to be better tools in your hands, to serve our spouses and the people around us as you have designed us to do. Thank you, Lord, for your word, which convicts us. And thank you for Christ, what he did to come and, and save us. And even with our failings and our sins to, to clean us up and present us as holy in your sight, Lord. We don't deserve it. And we thank you and praise you for your great love for us. In Christ we pray. Amen. All right. So um, as we look at at these scriptures that we just read. So Ephesians 5, um, we see kind of a mutual sacrifice going on where the husband is to love the wife and give himself to the wife as Christ loved the church, which is sort of a high bar if you think about it. Um, and, and, and the wife is to respect the husband. And then we see in the, uh, in the verses that I read out of 1 Peter, that the, wife, the wives, by their actions and, and by how they conduct their lives, can win over their husbands uh, as almost a silent um, sort of a witness. And then uh, a little bit um, weighty is for the husbands uh, to show honor to their wives uh, 
um, and, and and that if we don't do that, our prayers may be hindered. So I don't know if you know that, but if we don't treat our wives in an understanding way and show honor to them, it can hinder our prayers to the Lord. So it's very important. And so I think about that, and I and I think as as I look at Ephesians and I look at this this verse out of 1 Peter that this is a picture of a marriage, a man and a woman is very different than what I ever grew up thinking. And that what was in the call, I didn't become a Christian until I was 30 years old. So I grew up like anybody else in America and I had probably the same kind of thoughts and ideas that any other person has in America about marriage. And they were not right thoughts, they were not accurate, they weren't healthy, but you know, what, what do young people in this world, in, in this country, think about? What do they think about when they're thinking about a spouse? What sort of qualities are they looking for? Physical? Physical? Yeah. So are they good looking, right? What else? Someone to keep them happy. Make them happy. Yeah. Anything else? Well. Yeah. Got a good job, somebody to support me. So, you know, if, do, do they have money? Do, do they have stability? Do they like me for how I am? Uh, they're not going to change me because I don't want to change. I like how I am. And that's the sort of things that people think about. And that is so opposed to what we see in this scripture. It is just so opposed to what we see here is sacrifice. And so um, in your, your notes... The mystery of marriage, the profound mystery that, uh, that Paul talks about here. If you want to fill in that blank, I got a blank just like a real preacher. I have blanks in the vest, you know, so trying to be official here. So, point number one the mystery of marriage is mutual sacrifice following Christ's example. That's the profound mystery. You like that, huh? And we know that that's what it is because that's what Paul says. When he says at the end of this, this uh, passage in Ephesians that he's comparing this uh, relationship to Christ and the church. So, that is, um, that's a little difficult. That's a little challenging. You know, so the first thing you might think is, you know, that doesn't sound like a lot of fun. I don't want to get married and sacrifice. I want to get married and have a spouse that's going to meet all of my needs. You know, so why should we do this? And, and as I said, you know, we were young and not very smart when, when we got married, or at least I wasn't. I wasn't a Christian um, and made a lot of mistakes and had a lot of, you know, wrong ideas. But to, to give you an example, I'll tell you a story, a short one, a short story. When we, we hadn't been married long. We got married actually here in Atlanta years ago. And we hadn't been we were married about six months when we moved. So we had been married. This was a way to not ingratiate yourself with your in-laws, by the way. We were married about six months and I got transferred and we moved to St. Louis, Missouri, where we knew no one. And she had always been with her family. So this was a little bit challenging, but it was good. It was God's will. It was his work. He was putting us in a different place outside of our comfort zone. And we were going to have to deal with each other and with our spirituality together. And, I, and I, looking back, you can see that. At the time, you can't see that. But looking back, I could see it. So we moved to St. Louis. We're trying to figure life out. Um, and we had a lot of, a lot of uh, foibles along the way. But one particular story I remember, and I'm going to tell my side of it. And then I'm going to hear from the other side of it. And not because one side's right or wrong, but just the perspective. So if we are not, as Christian people, following the perspective that that the word of God lays out for us, we're going to have our own perspective. So we had our own perspective. So this is my perspective. So this is all me. And then she'll 
correct me or tell me her perspective. So we had moved to St. Louis. It's winter time. It snows in St. Louis in the winter, which they think nothing of because they have things like snow plows and tractors and salt trucks and life goes on. And I actually grew up in the Northeast, which is why I can be irritating and, you know, very upfront and um, impolite at times. So I grew up in that, and I knew what that was like, and I didn't think anything of it. So she had a job on one side of town. I had a job on the other side of town. It's snowing. She calls me. Hey, it's snowing. Are you going to come and get me? What? Come and get you? No, it's not that bad, baby. You can do it. Just go out there, you know, put on a defroster, you'll be fine. And uh, so she did, as far as I knew. And then I got home and then um, realized that I had not fully understood the situation and what had happened. And her reaction, she was uh, quite displeased with me, <laughs> shall we say. And I was like in total shock, like what is going on? So now, do you want to yes. tell? Well, yes. I got to give you this. I got to give you the. Yeah. Right. Can you hold that? So, from my perspective, what happened was that um, we had only been there maybe a month. So, we moved in, I guess, end of October. So, this is getting close to the end of November, first big snow, and I'm working and and I'm shocked being from Atlanta that, you know, there's first there's ice coming down, sleet and ice for like a long time. And I'm watching out the window, everything's getting covered. And then it starts to snow like a lot. So I'm thinking, why aren't they closing this place? You know, because that's what they do here, right? But, you know, everybody's just keeping on working. So I'm, I'm, I'm getting more and more stressed. And so finally, it's getting close to closing time. And I call him and his reaction is what it is. And so I'm thinking, okay, I've just, I got to do this. So I get out to the car. Well, I can't even get in my car because it's iced over and then snow is on top of that. So everything is, it's just covered in ice and I don't even know what to do. I mean, I can't even get in the car to get a scraper to, to do anything. And so I'm standing there and I, you know, getting very uh, emotional and upset because I feel helpless and he's far away. I don't know anybody. This is I'm a temp in a company. So I know no one. And so I finally thought, get your credit card out maybe, and you can chip away a place to at least see, you know, and then somebody had mercy on me and came over and like had a lighter and kind of lit the thing to where the key, you know, it was, so we were probably doing that for an hour trying to get in my car. And so then the commute back home was about 20 minutes, but it took me about an hour and a half. So by the time I got home, all I could think driving home was, you know, where's my daddy? You know, <laughs> my daddy would have been there to help me um, and my husband could care less. So the first thing he says when I walk in the door is, hey, let's go play in the snow. And I just burst into tears and, <laughs> and ran up the stairs. So those are the two perspectives. So you're thinking, why should I listen to this person? <laughs> because I have learned a lot. You know, this is sanctification. You know, and it, it hurts to go through it, but at the end, if you're willing to learn, you can actually learn something and improve. So that's how, that's how bad it was for us uh, at the beginning of our marriage. And we had to learn a few things. So all that is the result of not understanding what God's word says and what his design is for marriage. And then just looking at, you know, from our own perspective, she had her perspective, I had my perspective, neither was right but we were too dumb to know the difference and we didn't know the word of God like we should. So, um, point number two on your outline has to do with the purpose of marriage. And if we look at Genesis 2, uh, at, the, at the first page of your handout, Let's, uh, would somebody read that? Genesis 2, 18 through 25. Let's read that. Then the Lord God said, It is not good that the man should be alone. 
I will make him a helper fit for him. Now out of the ground the Lord God had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. The man gave name to all his names to all the livestock, to all the birds of the field. But for Adam there was not found a helper fit for him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man, and while he slept, took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. Then the man said, This at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife are both naked and are not ashamed. All right, thank you. So, um, right away, at the beginning of this scripture, we see that it is not good for the man to be alone. And that a, a companion suitable for Adam was not to be found. And God had to create that companion. And so God created a unique type of human being, the woman, that fit exactly what Adam needed, and they, they both fit together and complement each other in ways that God intended. So they're meant to be together. They're meant to be a unit. They're meant to leave their father and mother and cleave together um, and, and create their own family unit. So um, the, uh, the point, the point number two, the purpose of marriage is friendship Producing sanctification, equipping edification, resulting in spiritual growth. So I think it's interesting looking at Ephesians again to consider the purpose that Christ came to accomplish. So there's mutual sacrifice. The man is to sacrifice for the woman. The woman is a sacrifice on behalf of the man as Christ sacrificed for the church. But why did Christ do it? What was the purpose of Christ having to lose his life? And, and we have the answer to that in this Ephesians passage, that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot, wrinkle, or any such thing that she may be holy and without blemish. So Christ came and, and gave his life for us and for the church to, to sanctify us, to be able to present us holy before God. And so that's a, a high calling to do that. And we as husbands and wives in a marital relationship are sacrificing not just to, to sacrifice, not just to be martyrs, but there's a purpose behind it. We are helping each other on the journey of faith, helping to, to stay on the path and to allow the Holy Spirit to work, to sanctify us. So um, our spouse is a faith partner and, and somebody that we're doing more than just life with. You know, it's more than just let's make a budget and let's figure out where we're going to live and how we're going to raise our children and this sort of thing. We're supposed to be two people as one walking together on the journey of faith, helping and, and um, sanctifying one another through mutual sacrifice. And, and that's what this scripture says in Ephesians. And that's the pattern from Genesis 2 that God created man and woman specifically for a purpose to be together. And I think that's very important to recognize, you know, why we sacrifice on behalf of our spouse. I think it's, uh, um, it requires intentionality. And so uh, Keller in his book, and I, I'm going to refer to this a lot because it's a great book. It's the best book on marriage that I have seen. It's highly readable. It's not that long. It's very easy to understand. I like things that are easy to understand. 
So that's what this is, and it's very, very practical. But he says um, that there are two requirements for marital friendship in a Christian marriage. Two requirements. One is spiritual transparency, and the second is spiritual constancy. I don't have that in your note, but you could write it down if you wish. What do you think of when I say the, the term spiritual transparency? I mean, I think transparency with the sins that we're struggling with individually. Okay. What else? I agree. Maybe what your spouse feels um, spiritually. Yeah. So they're real deep feelings. Right. Yeah. Communicating how God's at work. Yeah. So, so these are these are real and deep conversations. That's what he's saying. So more than just like who's going to the grocery store, what's on the list, who's dropping the kid off at the sports game. I mean, it, this is like real life stuff, deep things that we should be having conversations with our spouse. Um, spiritual constancy is the other one of the two. So that one uh, obviously refers to the, the notion that we're having these conversations on some regular basis, right? Um, and, and that's important to do. Uh, I know in our lives, having those kind of conversations and, and challenging each other um, in spiritual ways has been very, very useful. I could tell a lot of stories about all the ways that God has uh, answered prayer and guided us together and through her, things she said to me and things I've said to her. There's a lot, of, um, a lot of stories there, but I'll just give you one quick example. I had been a Christian not a year, maybe, not even a year. In St. Louis, I became a Christian in St. Louis. I think it still counts, being a Christian. <laughs> I was baptized and everything. So I became a Christian there, and we were in, uh, th th this church is equivalent of an MC group. And I, what they, they call it a small group or a small group. So we were in a group like that. It was a dysfunctional group. You don't know what that is, because at Emmaus, we don't have any dysfunctional <laughs> MC groups. But, I'm, but let me just assure you, there are dysfunctional house groups, home groups, small groups, whatever you want to call them, in other churches outside of Emmaus. So we were in one, and we just thought that was normal because we'd never been in such a thing before. So we're in this thing, and the guy that was leading it, he and his wife, they were the only people in that group who could have a conversation and facilitate a group. They were the only ones there. It wasn't even close. There was nobody else. Well, suddenly he gets transferred and he's moving to Illinois. And he says, I'm out. And he says, you're gonna have to lead it. I said, I'm barely even a Christian. And he said, well, look at these people. Who's gonna do it? <laughs> I, couldn't, I couldn't disagree, so, but I didn't wanna do it and I thought it wasn't wise. And we talked about it and prayed. So anyway, long story short, we thought that God was leading us to do that. And it wasn't easy. We didn't want to do it. It would have been easy to get out of there and say no, but so many good things happened from that. And we, and it took both of us. I mean, we were in it to get, so that's, you know, like leading a group, it's, it's both of us. You know, we both lead the group if we lead a group. And, and you know, that, that's how we did it. That's the approach we took. And that was great because sometimes I would sit there and ask a question and there'd be silence. I mean, for five minutes. I'd wait him out. I'd wait him out. And she encouraged me. She'd look at me and... <laughs> and it got pretty good. You know, we try not to laugh after a while. But they, they finally got going and it all worked out. It was a great experience. But I never would have done it if I hadn't felt like God was saying, you need to step out in faith. And I wouldn't have done it if I hadn't been totally in agreement with my wife on that. So... You know, this idea of being together in a marriage of friendship 
the most important human relationship in our lives and walking through struggles of faith together. That is what a Christian marriage is supposed to be about. Um, but, you know, it, it takes intentionality. So we're going to talk a little bit about that. So let's move to point number three. The root cause of marital dissatisfaction. Would somebody read, I have a couple of scriptures, I won't go through them all, but would somebody read James 4, verses 1 through 3? James 4, 1 through 3. You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and you cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly. Spend it on your passions. Yeah, thank you. All right, in 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 7. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and adores all things. Thank you. So that scripture, you probably hear a lot of weddings, you know, and, and in front of that, uh, at the, the beginning of, of chapter 13, it talks about if I speak in tongues of men and angels and have not love, I'm a noisy gong. And, you know, if I do all these things and I don't have love, it, do, it doesn't matter. Um, and this section that Tom just read strikes me as requiring a lot of sacrifice and perseverance and endurance. Love is patient, which has a connotation of you have to wait. You have to defer things that you want, right? Um, does not insist on its own way. Ooh. Not irritable or resentful. Bears all things, which speaks to, you know, you have to endure some things. And, and then it says endure all things, so there you go. Um, so... This passage talks about Christian love and the fact that we have to endure things in our, in our relationships with our spouses and with other people. And then the James passage talks about what is causing a lot of our issues, and that's inside of us. You know, we want this and we want that, and we don't get it, um, and we don't like that. And so getting back to this point here, um, where are we here? No, uh, point number three, the root cause of marital dissatisfaction is self-centeredness and pride. Self-centeredness and pride. And so I think those are things that we can conceptually understand that we're selfish, we want what we want, we don't get it, we get angry, we don't like it, we don't act the right way, we act out. I think we can get all that, but how in the world do we practice this sacrifice that the Bible's talking about in a marital relationship? You know, how can we do the things that we need to do to sacrifice on behalf um, of our spouse? And it's, uh, it's interesting to me I think Leslie told this story last week about our neighbor, one of our neighbors who's getting divorced. And I mean, they're like our age, their kids are grown. And, and you see this, right? It's called gray divorce, where people get to, to my age, my wife's age, and the children are grown and gone. And, you know, why do we need to be married anymore? What's, you know, we don't have a relationship. Uh, I want to go do what I want to do. And they just leave. Um, and what I find very interesting 
is that there are certain biblical covenant type relationships that are forced on our culture, whether you're a believer or not. And one of them is your relationship with your children. So what I notice is these people that do this gray divorce or they split up, whatever, they don't abandon their children. Their children are very important. And their children, if you have children, and particularly if they're older, the children don't always act the way we want them to act. They can be very frustrating. They can be difficult. They can be challenging. They do horrible things. And yet we stick with them. And why is that? And, and my belief, and Keller says this as well, is that the, the biblical pattern, the biblical covenant is forced upon us whether we believe in God or not, just because it's true. We, we're going to stick with our children. We stick with them through thick and thin, and we develop those bonds, and we're not going to abandon them most of the time. Most of the time. People get divorced a lot at a higher rate than they abandon their children. And, and, and Keller's point, and I think there's truth in it, is that that's a biblical covenant relationship forced upon us, and when we're forced to act it out, then we will do the right thing, and we will sacrifice, and things will improve, and we will not abandon that relationship. And I think uh, also about our parents. And did you talk about our parents at all last week, about their marriage relationship? All right, so I won't go into it a lot, but let's just say uh, my parents, her parents, we weren't raised in a Christian home, which is why I act the way I do sometimes, because I didn't have that home training. So we didn't have that. And we didn't see good examples of a husband and wife growing up. Now, it wasn't terrible, but, you know, there was interactions that were not good. There was fighting. There was arguing. There, there was a lot of, you know, borderline violent type stuff. But they stuck it out. They stuck it out. Why did they? I don't know. Some people just do. They stuck it out. And they did it because they felt it was the right thing to do to stay together. Um, and your parents are still 85 years old. They're still married. And, 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 and there's good things that come from that. There's good things in the family. There's, there's good things in their relationships. And it was worth doing it. Um, and they did it. Why did they do it? Because they were committed to do it. Maybe not because of what the Bible says, but they were committed to do it, and so they got through tough times, and it got better, wouldn't you say? Yes. Yeah, so um, we can, if we are dedicated to it, stay committed to a covenant relationship, which is what marriage is. So um, it, at times it's very frustrating, and there's things that we have to get through because we saw some bad examples. We didn't know how to behave together as a married couple in productive ways. So I'll tell another St. Louis story. I'm glad you didn't know me when I was in St. Louis because I was horrible. Um, but this was another, I don't know how we got through this season of our life, actually. It was God's mercy. But at the same time, it was uh, around Christmas and I'm not a mechanical person. I don't like mechanical things. I get very frustrated. I've learned this over time. So now I have ways to deal with that so it doesn't just completely make me crazy. But at that time, I didn't. And so we had a, a, a live tree, right? We bought a live, live Christmas tree. And this is like, this is bad. <laughs> I, can't, I don't have time to tell you all this. But anyway, it was a, just a, a process, getting this thing and getting it to our... <laughs> Together. Uh, uh, it, we yeah. lived in a, a townhome that had huge soaring ceilings. So, so we had to get this giant tree. tree. Yeah. We are like the Griswolds in that, uh, <laughs> you know, this will be great. So anyways, you can imagine the problems. Well then, <clears throat> I don't know, I, I think we damaged the door, getting it in the house. It's like scraping the wall. I try to get it in the tree stand. Guess what? It doesn't fit. So I became very upset and enraged and so th this this night ended with me throwing the tree out the door into the street and then I had to leave because she was going to throw me out the door <laughs> behind it I and mean, it was just bad you know so that that sort of thing came from what we had seen growing up and lack of any sort of teaching or understanding of the truth so 
as we you know, became Christians, learned some things, we, we decided we're, we need to change. We need to change ourselves. You know? we, we, we need to change. So yes, we have some baggage. And, and yes, we didn't have a Christian upbringing. And you know, we didn't have the best examples necessarily. But at some point, when is it my responsibility? You know, I mean, how am I going to change this? If I don't want to raise my children exactly the way I was raised, then I have to do something different. And, and that's what we decided to do. And we decided to try as best we could to understand what God's word said about how we should live together. And then we did those disciplines, those spiritual disciplines. We got into Bible studies. We were around mature Christian people that could give us good examples. We asked questions. Um, and, and, and we got good teaching. And we prayed. You know, and that stuff really, really made a difference for us. All right, point number four. We're running out of time. <laughs> All right, the lifeblood of, mar- of a healthy marriage is communication. Here we apply the spiritual disciplines together with our spouses. So that's what I was just talking about. Communication in marriage is a problem. Um, so again, the, the, the healthy uh, lifeblood of a healthy marriage is communication. Here we apply the spiritual disciplines together with our spouses. So spiritual conversations that are characterized by constancy and transparency are very important, right? Um, what This is a poll from the Barna Group, if you're familiar with this, a Christian polling company did a survey of professing Christians. Now, is every professing Christian really a Christian? I don't know, but, but it's, it's people who profess to be Christ followers, married people that profess to be Christ followers, and asked them whether or not they have a regular spiritual conversation with their spouse. What percentage of respondents do you think said yes? Well, you guys are close. Yeah, 13%. 13%. So it is a problem. So, so Christian people, Christian spouses are not having regular, spiritual, transparent, authentic, genuine conversations. And I'm telling you that if you do not do those things, that is where Satan will get a foothold, and that's exactly what he wants to do. And that's exactly the most vulnerable place in our lives if we're married for him to take us off track and completely destroy our personal lives, destroy any sort of ministry we have. It's a financial killer. I don't know if you shared any financial stuff, but people get to I mean, it's not a good financial decision to do that. So, I mean, there's nothing good really that comes from it. Uh, and that is where the evil one will attack. And look at all the prominent Men and women of God, preachers, and you, know, you hear about this all the time, that they make a mistake, they have sin in their lives, they make a wrong choice, and their whole ministry is taken out. We were at a church in St. Louis where that happened, a minister was done. Great minister, great preacher, had a great following, and he just made some bad decisions and, and you know, fell to temptation. His ministry was over. And, that, and that's where... The evil one wants to attack. All right. uh, Let's keep moving. Point number five. Modern day cultural mores do not change the truth of God's word. And the reason I say that is because there's some language which could be objectionable or inflammatory if not understood correctly um, in Ephesians. And um, and in some other places, but the, uh, the issue of headship and submission, we haven't talked about that, but that's in here. So, Husbands, love your wife as Christ loved the church, which is a high bar, right? And 
the wives to respect the husbands and submit to the husbands. So what does that mean? What, what is headship and, and what is submission? And um, I think it's interesting in, in Keller's book, he actually, uh, his wife, Kathy, writes a chapter on that from the perspective of a woman. And I thought that was very good how, how she did that. And it, it, it's interesting to hear from her perspective what submission means and what it is and what it isn't. And so I thought maybe tonight that uh, I'd give Leslie a couple of minutes to talk about that, how that has played out in our lives and what, what it means and uh, how to apply it. Okay. So um, not being raised in a Christian home and not ever really hearing about um, this issue from a Christian point of view, I was raised in the 60s and 70s where, you know, the whole women's movement exploded and my mother was into that. So, you know, I always had that perspective and that that voice in my head um, about, you know, women being equal to men and all of those kinds of things. So then becoming a Christian and then, you know, reading these passages, I struggled with that. Um, and But a lot of clarity came when I heard a teaching um, and then just started to, to read more and to dig um, about what it says um, in Genesis. And in Genesis 3, Adam and Eve had disobeyed God by eating the fruit that he had commanded them not to eat. And so sin came into the world and everything fell apart for them. Um, and, um, and in Genesis 3, it tells us specific consequences came to the man and the woman. In 3.16, it says, And to the woman he said, I will surely multiply your pain in childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. And... Um, quoting the ESV Bible commentary, says about those verses, these words from the Lord indicate that there will be an ongoing struggle between the woman and the man for leadership in the marriage relationship. The leadership role of the husband and the wife that were ordained by God before the fall have now been deeply damaged and distorted by sin. The ongoing results of Adam and Eve's original sin of rebellion against God's will have disastrous consequences for their, for their relationship. How, one, Eve will have the sinful desire to oppose Adam and to assert leadership over him, reversing God's plan for Adam's leadership in the marriage. But Adam will also abandon his God-given pre-fall role of leading, guarding, and caring for the wife, replacing this with his own sinful, distorted desire to rule over Eve. So just understanding in my mind that this was, this was part of, of the curse from the very beginning, that women, you know, would always have this um, thought in their mind that they kind of knew better, that, you know, just that natural f- tendency of our flesh, it helped me to understand why I was like that, why other women were like that, and maybe why there was just this um, thought in the world of that. I mean, you see that in TV shows, you, you see it in the, um, you know, in the Archie Bunker character, you know, who's the, 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 you know, kind of guy who, you know, is the ruler of the house, and there's the timid wife, but she, she really knows what's happening, and she's the really nice one. And then there's the Raymond, you know, everybody loves Raymond, and, you know, kind of the, the silliness that goes on in their relationship. Um, but just, and, and it's funny, you know, we sit and laugh at it, but the fact is that, you know, what has happened is it's just damaged that whole concept of, of, of the man, you know, loving and, and guarding and, and being there and, and, and being that, um, that protector and that, um, great leader in his family and the wife, you know, submitting to that. And so once I got that in my mind, I, I really started to understand that it, it wasn't just me. It was, it was just has, is there in us. And we have to fight against that. We have to go to God and we have to say, help me with this. I don't want to be like this. I want to be what you want me to be. 
Um, and then also to further talk about that, um, it's really amazing in the in the Keller book where Kathy talks about um, how she came to understand better about submission. Um, and she writes, in Philippians 2, 5 through 11, we have one of the earliest hymns to Jesus sung by the church, which celebrates that although Jesus was equal with God, he emptied himself of his glory and took on the role of a servant. Jesus shed his divine privileges without becoming any less divine, and he took on the most submissive role, that of a servant who dies in his master's service. In this passage, we see taught both the essential equality of the first and second persons of the Godhead, and yet the voluntary submission of the Son to the Father to secure our salvation. She says, let me emphasize that Jesus's willing acceptance of this role was wholly voluntary, a gift to his father. I discovered here that my submission in marriage was a gift I offered, not a duty coerced from me. And so it, it, it just, it kind of helped me to see that, you know, by my submitting to my natural, to, you know, desire, going to God and saying, helping me and submitting at times when it's necessary. I mean, Bill and I will, will talk about all things, all decisions in our marriage. Um, and if we, he's ever had a different opinion from me on something, then I, we've learned to pray and to seek God. And there have been times when he has made that ultimate decision because I just kind of knew that I didn't have the answer. Or, I mean, we've never really had a time when we just dug our heels in and because we took it and prayed about it separately and then together. Um, if we've ever had anything like that. And so I feel like that just the Holy Spirit helping me to just want to, to, to understand that because, you know, really it, it's on him. And to me, it's a freedom to not have it on me. You know, I don't, I don't want to wear the pants, honestly. I mean, I, I just don't want to because he's, he's responsible. It's really on his shoulders and that's where it should be. God tells us that. And so he's made for that. And I feel like that I have a lot of decisions I make and, and that's great. But on some things, I need to defer to him and there's just a freedom in doing that and knowing that God is, is telling him what to do and I have to be good with it. Um, so whenever you feel that flesh rising up to take it to the God and, and he will help you in that. We have examples where that has you know happened in our life and God has intervened and really shown us the way, right? Yeah, so I mean, we're, we're at the end of our time here, but I, I just say from a man's perspective, from my perspective, I mean, obviously this you know, headship and submission is not about, uh, you know, as, as Leslie said, coercion or somebody always has the upper hand or you know, the man always decides everything. And I mean, there's a lot of wrong ways you can go with that in, in, in scripture, which I think are obvious. But from my perspective as a man, you know, I want to agree with my wife. You know, I, I, if she doesn't agree, then I need to go back and, and check myself and, and pray about it. And, and there have been times for both of us, I think it's fair to say, where maybe we didn't see something the same way and I would change after prayer or you would change. After, I mean, we come together most of the time. And so the more we follow the Lord, the more um, you know, years we put behind us in our marriage, the more we are of one mind. You know, we're two together and it's easier to make decisions because we're, we know each other well and we're aligned. But still, once in a while, you don't agree or you more often just don't have clarity of what to do. Um, and then that's on me. And, and I feel like that if I have to make that decision, that's a lot of pressure. I'm not just going to make anything out of my flesh that I think I should do. I mean, that's one I'm really, really in prayer about that. Lord, show me what to do. If we don't agree or we don't know, we need the Lord's help. And I think this is a real, real problem of male leadership in our country and abdication of leadership that God has provided and, and designed for, for males to have. Um, and if we're not taking that responsibility, following Christ's example, not in an authoritarian way, but in the sacrificial laying down your life kind of way that Christ uh, demonstrated for us, I mean, if, if we're not doing that, we're, we're missing what God has called us to do. And look at our country. How many men are not stepping up to their responsibilities in their family in this country? It's an epidemic. And I don't know if you shared statistics about how many children are born in, 
when they're born, their two parents are not in their household. A, a very high percent. I don't remember what it was, but it's shocking. So um, God's word is right. His word is true. Some of it is harder to hear than others. I don't like certain scriptures as much as, as others. And, and this one's a hard one, but that doesn't mean it's not true. And I think we just need to understand it correctly um, and operate in the example that Christ gave to us of, of sacrifice. And if we do that, I, I think it will be better for our marriage. Two people together in any kind of relationship, some, you know, sometimes there's not going to be agreement. How, is, how are things decided? I know how they were decided in my home when I was growing up, and it wasn't a pleasant situation. So I think that God's design, speaking for me in our marriage, is way better than alternatives I have seen. So that was, was that the last point? We need to go on. Are you ring the bell? You're going to ring the bell on me? Okay, so we have discussion questions um, here at the end, which you can discuss in your tables. And as I said, please give us a, a question or two on the index cards. We'd like you to leave them. Where can they leave them? Um, they can leave up here on this yellow box on the stage. Yeah, you could put your name or not put your name. And we have books over here. A lot of the books that are on this handout that we've referred to are over here if you'd like to look at them. And I don't know if there's anything you want to say about the books. Nope, nope. they're discussion. great books. So we'll stop now and uh, just discuss those questions, if you will, at your tables for the next um, 10 minutes or so. Thank you. Thank you.